Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. So glad you could join us online. We are always happy and delighted when you can join us and be with us this beautiful Sunday morning. Hey, wasn't that worship incredible? I really enjoyed that worship. And you know what I love about worship is that it brings us so close to the Lord. It brings us really into His presence. And uh, as we were just worshiping the Lord, I I just felt like the Lord dropped something in my heart. You know, obviously we're in a major disruption. Everybody knows that. And, and things are going on around us that are just a little bit different than we've ever experienced. And I had this picture in my mind as we were worshiping the Lord. Do you ever remember watching the show growing up, The Wizard of Oz? The Wizard of Oz. Remember that show, The Wizard of Oz? And I always remember that show, uh, the one part that I just... We'll never forget is that part where uh, she's she's uh, she's standing before this big you know man this 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 whatever he was the Oz you know and she's so scared she's so fearful she's shaking and he's speaking with his booming voice and she's just like shaking and scared and fearful and. And then the little dog, was it Toto? Is that what it was? Toto, he's over there barking and pulling a little uh, curtain back and revealing that it really wasn't the big Oz at all. It was that old man working the machine and creating the fear. And sometimes I, I, I think with the Lord kind of dropped that in my heart uh, during worship, but I just kind of felt like them, that we're actually in that moment right now that many times we face fear and fearful things, but really, you know what? If you just pull the curtain back, it's really not all that because uh, there's really nothing to fear. Remember, I think it was Churchill said, nothing to fear but fear itself. And I, I know what Paul said to us as well, to Timothy. He said, listen, son, he says, um, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. And so I believe today, this morning wants to come and he just wants to speak to your heart. He wants to encourage you. And right off the bat, the Lord wants to remind you that whatever you're fearful of, whatever's causing fear, whatever's causing you to lose a little sleep at night, whatever is causing you to wake up in the middle of the night and, and, and to begin to wonder and question, you know, and how's this going to work out and how's things going to move forward? I, I think you, you need to be reminded that fear is just, a, it's just something, an old man behind a curtain and it really has no bite to it at all. But God's in control. God's in control of your life. God's in control of our lives. And uh, I was uh, read an article just recently. I want to read it to you again. I think sometimes perspective really does help us. And, you know, we've been so used to s smooth sailing for so long in America that when a little disruption comes, uh, it's, a little, it's a little unnerving. When two or three disruptions happen, then we almost seem to lose our cool. That's why we've been doing a series called Steady As She Goes. So listen to this. Let's get perspective. If you were born in the year 1900, think about this. On your 14th birthday, you're 14 years old, you're born in 1900. On your 14th birthday, World War I starts and it ends on your 18th birthday. 22 million people perish in that war while you're in high school. Later in that same year, a Spanish flu epidemic hits the planet, and it lasts for two more years. 50 million people die in the world at that time. On your 29th birthday, the Great Depression begins. Unemployment hits 
the world GDP drops 27%, and that lasts until you're 33 years old. The country nearly collapses in this depression. And when you turn 39, World War II starts, and you're not even over the hill yet. Don't, don't even try to catch up with your breath here. You're on your 41st birthday, the United States is fully pulled into World War II. Between your 39th and 45th birthday, 75 million people will perish in that war. Smallpox epidemic comes and lasts in your 40s and kills 300 million people in your lifetime. At the age of 50, the Korean War starts, 5 million perish. And from your birth until you were 55, you've dealt with the fear of polio. Every summer, you've experienced friends and family contracting polio and dying from that. At 55 years old, the Vietnam War begins and doesn't end for 20 years. Four million people perish from that conflict. During the Cold War, you've lived each day with the fear of a nuclear annihilation. On your 62nd birthday, you have the Cuban Missile Crisis, a tipping war in the Cold War, a tipping point in the Cold War, and life on our planet as we know it almost ended at that point. And then when you turn 75, the Vietnam War finally ends. Now, that's just 75 years of a person born in 1900. Any of those things, one of those things, probably be enough to unnerve any of us. But can you imagine what all of those things put together in a person's lifetime? What am I saying? I'm saying life really is about navigating through hard times from time to time and enjoying the good times, enjoying the smooth sailing, and then making sure when rough times come, difficult times come, that we stay steady at the helm and realize that Jesus is controlling. He's on the bridge. He's calling the shots, and we can trust him at the helm. Well, last week in our series, Steady As She Goes, we talked a little bit about the fact that God is a generational God, and that with each one of us, we've been given a baton and a race to run, and the baton needs to be handed off to people that are coming after us. So it's important that we run a good race. It's important that we run a good race. Well, listen, I just want to jump into really our message this morning and just um, share a couple of good things at, towards uh, the end of this. And, uh, but I want to talk this morning to you uh, a little bit about Abraham. And Abraham is an interesting fellow. Um, we talk about him as the father of our faith. He's, he, he loves God, no doubt. But let's look at Genesis chapter 21, verse 33. The Bible says that Abraham planted a tamarisk tree, a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. It's an interesting little scripture. What's, much, what's, what's to be said about that? He, there's Abraham. He goes to Beersheba. He plants a tree, and he calls God an eternal God. Well, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Why, why, why here do we find this Abraham, this father of our faith, referring to God as the eternal God? 
how come Abraham didn't refer to God as um, Yahweh, as so many were familiar with? How come he didn't refer to God as Elohim or maybe, not, maybe El Shaddai or all these other names that God has been given? What's happening in his life at this time that suddenly he feels when he talks to God or acknowledges God that for some reason he needs to acknowledge him as the eternal God? What's happening in his life? that would make him call God this name. Well, let's look at the name eternal God in the Hebrew word that it was written in. The word eternal God, eternal, means is the Hebrew word olam, O-W-L-A-M. And by definition, it means this. God who is outside of time and rules time. A God who is outside of time and rules time. If you can imagine time being in a box like this, Olam, God, is a God that lives outside of this box. And he rules the time that's in the box. It also could mean a long duration, a long, forever, everlasting, perpetual moment or a continuous existence. But basically, what I'm saying here, what we're learning is that he was saying, uh, describing God who is forever God, both before and after, a a forever in both ways, a God who's before time and after time, a God who is outside of time. He's talking about a God who rules time and is not controlled by time. This is interesting, and I want to bring out why it's interesting. Why is Abraham, at this point in his life, thinking about God as an eternal God? Now, you have to understand, Abraham, is he's experiencing God in many ways just like you and I are. We, God is always unfolding himself, isn't he? He's always just kind of um, showing a part of himself to us that perhaps we didn't realize about him maybe last week or last month or last year. And now Abraham is experiencing that same thing here. He's experiencing a part of God that he, he was new to him, a God that's outside of time. He's been waiting, actually, for God to do something for the last 25 years. In fact, he had been promised by God 25 years ago that, son, Abraham, you're going to have a son, and you're going to be the father of many nations. You're, in fact, there's going to be such an inheritance or a heritage come from you that, that it's just going to blow your mind and be greater than the sand on the seashore. But well, in order for that to happen, you have to have a son, right? You have to have a lineage, and, and he didn't even have a son. But God had made this promise, and so he has this promise, and he's, he, he waits. Okay, well, I, I can wait. You know, thank you, Father, for this promise. And so he waits, and, and next year comes, and next year goes, and there's no son, and there's no signs of his wife having a child at all. And, and two years goes by, and three years, and... Now five, and he's starting, no doubt, like any human would be like getting up in his age, and so is his wife. He's like, God, you know, listen, I th- you made a promise here, and it's five years, you know, and hello, <laughs> uh, six years, seven years, 10 years go by. 10 turns into 15, he looks over at his wife, and his wife looks at him, and he begins to wonder, wonder if this thing's ever going to happen. No doubt that his wife began to think the same thing, and now there's 25 years has gone by, and guess what? She's too old to have a baby. It's not going to happen. 
She's, she, does, she doesn't even, she doesn't even uh, uh, have any, any uh, belief at all that something like this could even happen. I mean, this is, this is an impossibility now. So she comes up with an idea and throws it out to her husband. Well, why don't we just help God out? Because obviously God needs some help. And, you know, and so she introduces Abraham to her handmaiden Hagar, and they got together, and they produce a son, and that's not what God had in mind. And God communicates that very clearly. No, that's not what I had in mind. And, but the point is that they, they, they gave up, I believe, completely this, at some point along the way, this idea that they could ever have a child. In fact, the Bible records that Sarah even laughed when the angels came and said, hey, you're going to have a child. She's 90 years old, 89 at this time. And she's like, she laughs behind the tent. And Abraham had laughed earlier himself. And they just kind of were making sport. You know, there's no way. Abraham's 99. I'm 90. There's no way this could ever happen. But here's the good news. Eventually, eventually, they ended up becoming a people that were not anymore wavering in their faith. Abraham ended up becoming this incredible, mighty statue of faith in our Christian heritage. But he didn't start off that way. In fact, he started off actually kind of uh, bad. In fact, there's a record of Abraham in his journey just trying to do his best to serve the Lord and follow God. Two different times there's a famine in the land. They go to another country. They're trying to figure out how to make ends meet. And, and he has a beautiful wife. Those doubts Sarah was very beautiful even for her age. And, and so he didn't want to get in trouble. He didn't want to somehow uh, lose his life or whatever because uh, they felt, these people fell in love. The king would fall, fall in love with his wife. So he told his wife there, he said, look, just tell them that I'm your brother. Don't tell them I'm your husband. I don't want them to kill me because they want to get together with you. Are you kidding me? That is like the, the highest level of betrayal to your wife you could ever do. And he did it twice. God had to step in to the mighty man of faith, Abraham, and intervene on his behalf because he broke covenant with his own wife. Abraham, we've all talked about how great a man he was, but he didn't start off that way. He had some flaws. He had his doubts. He, he wavered sometimes. He, he broke covenant with, even with his own wife, and, 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 and so we, 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 we talk about this guy Abraham here at this point of his life. When I just read the scripture in Genesis, he calls God an everlasting God. What happened? I believe that Abraham got this revelation of an everlasting God who lived outside of time, who knows the end from the beginning, a God who knows, get this, my potential before I ever live in it. Come on. God knew that Abraham had inside of him the stuff to be the father of many nations. He knew that Abraham had inside of him the stuff to become the father even of what would someday be the Messiah to come to the earth to bring deliverance. God believed in Abraham when Abraham didn't deserve to be believed in. That's what I want you to know. And if I'm going to see God move in my life, if I'm going to see God move in my family, if I'm going to see God move miraculously in uh, our church, 
or in our community or in our country, in America, then it's going to be because I know that I serve a God who looks past, get this, who looks past my failures, who looks past my mistakes, who looks past my shortcomings, and he sees something even in me and in you that you don't even see yourself. And, and because he's a God who lives outside of this time frame. He's a God who knows the end from the beginning. He's a God who made you before you were ever even born. He's a God who loves you and believes in the call on your life. And the good news is that God knew 250 years ago, even about America, that we would be in the situation that we're in. God knew before America was even established that we would persecute Indians and we would do them injustice and wrong. God knew before America was even birthed that we would kill innocent Christians and call them witches in the witch trials God knew from the very beginning of time, because he's an everlasting God, that, that we would be a people that would launch out into this beginning of a nation and we would call people slaves and we would declare that they don't even have a soul. And we would be a people that would kill babies at the rate of 3,000 abortions a day, that we would be a country that would try to blur the lines of what a marriage really means. And, and he also knew that he would finish what he started. Come on. God also knew that he would finish what he started because he lives not just in the past, he also lives in the future. He's an eternal God. And that's what Abraham came to understand, that God was with him even when he was making all those mistakes. And God never forsook him. And God helped him along his journey. And he became, and God helped him become a mighty man of faith. We've been talking about America. We've been talking about our heritage the last several weeks. And some would say that America is too far gone. Some would say that America doesn't deserve a revival. Well, can I just say this? If, if America deserved revival, then we wouldn't need a revival. <laughs> if it was healthy, we wouldn't need a doctor, right? The Bible's full of people living in a mess, and yet God has always intervened, hasn't he? God intervened with Peter when Peter denied him, and God still came and used him to be one of the foundation pillars in the church. God would come, and he would move upon a demoniac in the Gadarenes and restore him back to health. And God would come and take an evil, conniving man named Zacchaeus, a tax collector. He would turn his life around because he's a God who lives outside of our time frame, sees the beginning and the end. He would take a woman caught in adultery and make her a mighty woman of God. God would take Jonah, who's running from him, and Make him into a great prophet in a wicked land. I want you to know that my faith is in God. And your faith must be in God. This God. This God that sees past your failures and my mistakes. We, we, this is a faith that we have in God, not in a movement. A faith that we have not in a political party. We don't have faith. It's not even in a billionaire or a millionaire or not even in a scientist or a great philosopher or not even in a doctor. Our faith is in God. And if a remnant 
the church will humble themselves and they will pray and seek his face. He says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Why am I hopeful for America? Because I know America has roots. And I know America was supernaturally birthed by God. That's why I have hope for America. God birthed this nation. I'm, there's more than 100 nations in the world. 100, I don't know what the last count, 60, 170 nations in the world. None outside of Israel have ever been birthed so supernaturally as America has been birthed. We have to understand this concept. It wasn't like we just, oh, 250 some years ago, just said, hey, let's start a nation and let's just see what happens. No, no, no. This, we, God literally had his hands all over the very birthing of our nation. So much so that even the founding fathers of our nation understood that the almighty sovereign hand of God was upon them. They could sense even in the Continental Congress that God was leading them supernaturally even in the way they were making decisions. They would even come and make confessions that only God could have done what has been done. You have to understand that you are enjoying the fruits of something that was supernaturally birthed by an eternal God from the very foundations of the world. That, that, that God has a purpose, has always had a purpose for America. That's why we say in God we trust. And George Washington, even our founding father, birthed, as he understood God birthing this nation, knew that there was no way that we would ever defeat the British Empire a little upstart little country where a third believed that we should no longer pay taxes and follow the edicts of a king and a third of this little country still believed in following the edicts of Britain and, and the other third could care less. And George Washington has just a little fraction of people that are believing that, that, that this nation is really ours to have. And so George Washington said, man, there is no way we can defeat this British Empire. They're, they're, they have resources beyond resources. They have ships. They have a navy, unlike any other navy in the world. They've got ammunition. They've got weapons. They've got training. They've got momentum. They've got everything. But George Washington even said, I'm taking you back in a little history lesson this morning. He, even, he understood, the, though, that, that America, if, 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 if America truly was being birthed by God, then it would not be defeated, even though it looked like an impossibility. He knew that, unless, that, that America could not exist unless God helped them and God worked behind the scenes. And he, unless God came and did something uh, supernatural and that this nation was not really not his idea or Thomas Jefferson's or John Adams or anybody else's, but this nation was God's idea. And so he said, we're going to have a flag. And before Betsy Ross ever made the stars and stripes, George Washington ordered a flag to be made. He ordered a flag to be flown over all the American ships. And this is what America's first flag said. An appeal to heaven. This was the flag flown on every 
American ship. This was the flag that was flown in the first battles of the Revolutionary War. This was a flag flown in several states for a great length of time. It was George Washington who ordered this flag to be made, an appeal to heaven. This appeal to heaven, this phrase found on this flag, an appeal to heaven, actually was a phrase that he had borrowed from a Christian philosopher at that time that he and Jefferson and others of contemporaries of George Washington did a lot of reading from. His name was John Locke, and John Locke had written many pamphlets and books and about spiritual uh, government, about having a government with spiritual statutes and principles. And one of the things that John Locke would say in one of his books, he said, when you've exhausted, listen to this, John Locke would say this, and this is what George Washington brought for it. He said, when you, when you have exhausted every human possibility to get something done, there is always one more option, appeal to heaven. Did you hear that? Oh, but pay, please pay close attention. When you've done everything you know to do to somehow Inter, to see something change. You've, you've, you've exhausted every law. You've, you've exhausted every uh, courtroom. You've exhausted every ballot box. You've exhausted um, every signature that you can find. You've exhausted every uh, means of voting someone into office or out of an office. When you've, when you've done everything you can do to somehow turn the tide and bring this nation in alignment with God's purposes, when you've done everything and it's still not working out. Guess what? There's always one more thing you can do. Go. You guess what it is? Just make an appeal to heaven. Because God has the final say. God always has the final say. So you can make an appeal to heaven. You can cry out to the Lord. You can, as it says in 2 Chronicles 7:4, you can cry out unto the Lord and humble yourself and you can pray. And that is not a small thing. And that's why George Washington says, that's what we will do. We may not have the resources. We may not have the ships. We may not have the ammunition. We may not have the soldiers. And we may not have the training. But one thing we do, we have an almighty, sovereign God. And if God's the one that founded this nation, then we will make an appeal to heaven. I hope you hear my heart. That as long as we have a God still on the throne then we have a God who can restore a nation. I uh, was so excited this past week, uh, Thursday, we had, um, we had a, a get-together. We had an informational meeting for, we called the pastors. We literally had uh, uh, one of our wonderful sisters in the church, even here, made a call, a phone call to every church in South Baldwin County. And we called every single one, and we told them about this meeting we were going to have. We told them about we're going to gather the churches together. We're going to pray and seek the Lord once in Daphne and then once in Robertsdale on the 26th of September. We're calling it Baldwin Praise. And Thursday for lunch, we had this lunch, and we had steaks, and we invited them to come. And can I tell you, 
We had 70 pastors and leaders show up for this incredible luncheon, all showing up saying, yes, we want to gather together. We want to unify and we want to see God move in our land, in our county, and in our country. And, and, and listen, I'm, I'm just a small little part to play in that, but I was there with some pastors that have been there for here for 20 some plus years. And they said to me with tears almost in their eyes, they said, JP, we've been here all this time and we've yet to ever see the pastors come together like this. I'm telling you, something good is going on. People are starting to realize we need to make an appeal to heaven. I'm looking so forward to praying together with the rest of the body of Christ on September 26th. It's going to be a wonderful time. So let me finish this little message right here. It's interesting. An appeal to heaven. But did you notice he chose an evergreen tree, an evergreen tree to be the symbol, an evergreen tree, an evergreen tree. You know, you don't plant an evergreen tree for yourself because it takes so long to grow. The only reason you plant an evergreen tree is so your children and your children's children can enjoy it. It'll never be big enough in your lifetime. He said, I want an evergreen tree because this, this nation is, is going to live past me and my generation. It's going to be bigger than just myself. Now, do you know what's interesting? We just read at the beginning of our message together, Genesis 21, verse 33, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called the name of the Lord, the eternal God. Can I tell you that a tamarisk tree is another name for an evergreen tree? There's the same tree. Abraham planted an evergreen tree because he wanted this thing to go past us. The evergreen tree was important to George Washington because during the formation of our nation, the Iroquois Indians came together and they, they decided that they would quit fighting amongst themselves and they would make peace with themselves. And so five or six different Iroquois different nations came together on the East Coast and they met at underneath, they met at an evergreen tree. George Washington knew about this. And history tells us that these Indians all came and brought their hatchets and their weapons and their bows and their arrows. And they dug a big hole underneath the tamarisk or the evergreen tree and they buried their hatchets. That's where we get the term, bury your hatchet. They buried their weapons. They buried the tools that they had practiced using so long on hurting one another. And they decided enough is enough. 
And that's what's happening. We're experiencing it even now. In the midst of this pandemic and all the crisis going on, the craziness, guess what? What the enemy meant for evil, God turns it around for good. And God's calling the churches together. And the pastors are coming into alignment. They're saying, yes, let's bury hatches, let's bury weapons, let's bury swords, let's bury whatever. Let's come together underneath an evergreen, which means... An evergreen tree is a sign of a covenant, a covenant keeping God. That's what, that's what Abraham has discovered. I'm, I, I, my God is a covenant keeping God. He plants an evergreen tree as a sign that I make a covenant with a God who is beyond my time frame, who was there before I arrived on the scene, who will be here long after I leave the scene. I serve an eternal evergreen God, a covenant keeping God, if you would. And so it's there that we are finding our strength, that God is with us, and God has not abandoned us. And after doing everything we know to do, we can always make an appeal to heaven. So, right where you're sitting, I trust that you sense the presence of God. We are in a very crucial time. And I don't know if you sense this, but I feel the weight of the hour. I feel the weight and the seriousness of the moment that we're living in. It's, listen, it's more than a virus. It's more, it's more than economy. It's more than, than, than unrest in the streets. It's, it's, it's bigger than this. There's a movement going on. And I'm here to tell you, listen, there's going to be a move of God that will sweep the earth before Jesus comes. I'm believing God for a billion people in the next 10 years to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Come on. I'm believing that this county and this nation of America will turn upside down. I'm believing that our school systems will find themselves reading the Bible again. I'm believing that we're going to attend schools and there's going to be an outbreak of the Holy Spirit and teachers are going to stop and they're going to allow the students just to pray right here. It's, let's seek God. It's not going to be foul. It's not going to be wrong. It's going to be right. And people are going to return to the roots of the foundation of our nation. I, I'm believing in an everlasting God. I'm believing that there's an appeal that we can make to the heavens and God will intervene because Yes, we've made mistakes. Yes, we've failed. Yes, we've fallen short. But come on, can I tell you? Can I tell you this morning? Can I tell you that God didn't give up on Abraham and he hasn't given up on America? He hasn't given up on his church. So I make a decree that God's bigger than our sins. He's bigger than our failures. He's bigger than our mistakes. He's bigger than our compromises. He's bigger than slavery and abortion and drug addictions. And I want to make an appeal to heaven this morning. I want you to just join with me. I want you to join with me in making an appeal. What does that mean? It means just, let's just kind of make a declaration together to God. Father, we make an appeal that you are going to finish what you started. We come and we remind you, Lord God, that that we are your people. 
We are your people and we humble ourselves. I humble myself. God, I ask you to forgive me for falling short. I ask you, Lord God, to forgive me for for not, Lord God, being the prayer man that I should be enough. I ask you, Lord God, to continue to quicken my spirit and our spirit together and that you will cause us to see the soberness of the hour in which we live. And we make an appeal to you, Lord God, that that you're going to heal our past and you're going to secure our future. And we thank you for seeing our potential and showing us our purposes as a nation. And we thank you, Lord God, that the purpose of America is not over. We thank you, Lord God, that you have bigger pictures still for us and bigger plans. And we decree over this generation that, Lord, we will see ancient paths restored and we will finish what you have started. And we, Lord God, declare that we refuse to give this nation over to foreign gods. We decree that we refuse to let Satan have this nation and its future. We will not let Islam have this nation or atheism have this nation or socialism have this nation. Lord, we refuse to believe that you can't redeem us from our mistakes. And we decree that we refuse to believe that the courts will continue to become liberal. Lord God, we decree that our courts will turn into courts that are filled with biblical structure. And God, will you will be in the middle of it. Lord, we decree that our school systems will find you again. We decree that an awakening will come across our land. And you will breathe, Lord, fresh life upon this nation. We decree, Lord God, and we make an appeal humbly to you, to heaven, as our eternal God. We ask you, Lord God, to breathe afresh on this land. And Lord, I pray on this September 26th, Lord, pastors and churches and ministries from all over Baldwin County will come and gather together. And Lord, there will be no fear of anything but just a desire to seek your face. God, we pray in this hour that we are in right now that you will come and you will bring a halt to the wave of destruction that is sweeping our land. And in the name of Jesus, we plant an evergreen tree in the middle of the crisis that we're in and we declare the purposes of our God be completed in our generation. And we say thank you for this, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Father, for those here watching this morning may not be feeling well. Maybe physically they're just worn out. Father, maybe spiritually they're just, Lord, on a low end. They just, they just need some help. I pray, I just send a word right now through that screen. And I just declare, Lord God, healing to take place. Supernatural, supernatural healing. I pray, Father, for those that need a miracle in their life, that you will do that, Lord, right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you for our great church. Thank you for the big church, the big C church that we get to be a part of. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, if you desire to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we encourage you, please, to just go ahead and just go online there to the website or Facebook page and send us a little note and say, man, I just I want to get 
closer to Jesus, we just want to pray with you. That would be our privilege and our honor. We love you so much, church. Thank you for tuning in this morning. Again, we won't be online. Well, we will be back online this Wednesday night and again next Sunday as well. And we just trust you have a great week. God bless you and enjoy your day and your week with an everlasting God.